Lord God, you are so, so good to us. And I thank you that you reveal yourself to us through your word. And Lord, we believe the Bible to be the authority. We believe it to be inerrant. We just believe, Lord, that it is true. So as we come to the word this morning, and as we hear the message that you have for us, Lord, would you move us by your spirit? Would you fill us and not leave us the same as when we walked in today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So as I was preparing for the message this morning, I asked God, if this was the last message that people ever heard, what is it you would want them to know? And while there's so many interesting facets of the transfiguration story, they really all come together as confirming evidence that God is who he says he is. And he loves each and every one of you. And he goes to such great lengths to demonstrate this love for us. And so if you, when you walk out of here today, if there's one thing that you remember, if there's one thing and nothing else, remember that God loves you. The great I am, the God of the universe, he's gone to such great lengths to demonstrate this very fact. And so I just want to give you a little bit of a confession. And the confession is this, that my, my faith has sometimes wavered. Sometimes I've doubted and I've struggled to receive the love of God. Now, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you might remember it was Pink Shirt Day. How many people are familiar with Pink Shirt Day? Yeah? <laughs> okay. So it all started out a few years ago when back in Eastern Canada, there was a young boy who went to school and he was wearing a pink shirt and he was relentlessly teased and bullied for it. And then what happened was there was another group of kids who noticed this. And then the next day, they wore pink sh shirts to school because they wanted to show support. They knew that it was wrong. And over time, this has kind of grown into a movement. And every year we have this pink shirt day just to raise awareness of the effects of bullying and that it has on people. And so this year, uh, it was a few days before, just a few days before Pink Shirt Day, I posted a video to social media, just a little bit about my own experiences with bullying growing up. And so somewhere between the ages of about six and 14, off and on, I was tormented. I had kids who would hide in the bushes and they would try and scare me on my walk home from school. And uh, I had been physically assaulted, I've had rocks thrown at me. Kids can be mean, can't they? Have you heard stories like that before? And so, for me, the effect that this had was that it was hard to really uh, know who I was. And I struggled with self-identity and self-worth. The other thing is, is, I didn't grow up in the church, and so I didn't have any concept of the love of Jesus. And I had no idea about my real identity in him. 
And then when I was in about grade 12, that's when I came to know the Lord. But even then, a lot of this knowledge about the love of God and who he says I am was kind of up here in my head, and it quite, hadn't quite made its way down to my heart yet. So I still struggled to really start receiving his love. But then, after a while, I saw just in a myriad of ways how God demonstrated his love for me. And the other thing is, aside from being able to really start receiving it, I, I kind of around that time also became very much aware of my own sinfulness. And so you might have heard Romans 3.23, and it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Have you stopped to think lately about how far short we fall? Because without Jesus, we are separated from God the Father, and we have no hope. That's why we need rescue. That's why we need to deliver. And that's what I found in Jesus. So have you ever been in that place, that place of struggling to believe, that place of struggling to receive the love of God? I think we all have at different times. And we see that in people in the Bible too. In today's story of the transfiguration, I want to point out three ways that the transfiguration demonstrates Jesus' love for his disciples and then by extension us. The first way is that in Jesus, God condescends. He leaves behind the glory of heaven to come down to earth. The second way is by progressive revelation. And so he spells out his plan and Jesus' identity just bit by bit. And the third way, he gives us an example to follow in Jesus Christ, who is both fully human and fully divine. Oh, the lengths our God goes to demonstrate that we are loved. So, the first part. God demonstrates his love for us because in Jesus he condescends. And by condescend, I'm not suggesting an air of arrogance like the word often implies. In this context, I like the Merriam-Webster definition, which says to waive the privileges of rank. So Jesus is fully God and thereby divine, but he leaves the privilege that that affords him, and he comes to an earth full of sinful and fallen people. The fact that the scene in today's passage even happens shows us that God, that Jesus, the Messiah, the King of glory, leaves behind the magnificent, glorious place where there's no sin, no pain, no sorrow, no war. He leaves behind the beauty of the throne room. Why? Because there's this separation between us. And so out of love, Jesus comes that we might be reconciled to the Father and share in this glory. Because this was never a glory that was meant for him to keep to himself. It was always intended to be a glory that was shared. And I don't know about you, but this brings me great joy and so much excitement. Of course, we don't get to see the fullness of this glory on this side of heaven. But we do get a foretaste. In the passage that Loretta read earlier, note verse 29. It says, as he was praying, 
the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became bright as flashes of lightning. And then note in verse 32, Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. It was a graphic. I'm not sure if you saw it yet. But I also love the account in Matthew 17:2, which says, there was transfigured before them. He was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And Mark says his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Of course, there were earlier manifestations of the glory of God before Jesus' arrival on earth. But these two were mere glimpses or just a a foretaste of the glory of heaven. Um, And in Exodus 24, 15 to 17, I'm just going to read that right now. It says, when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. So notice the association of the presence of God with the cloud, and we see this in multiple Old Testament passages. Similarly, we see a cloud in our Luke passage today as well. And then in Exodus 34, there's another example. It says, after being in the presence of the Lord, when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. Then, when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. You see, just even that glimpse, even a little bit of a reflection of the glory of the Lord was too much to bear with a naked eye. But here's the thing, and I hope you'll pay attention to this, is that these little foretastes or glimpses of glory, they demonstrate an incredible love because they point to a future glory. Not one that's temporary on a mountaintop, but one that's continuous and permanent. The glory that if we choose to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, if we accept what he did on the cross, that can be our glory as well that we can enjoy for eternity. And so in the transfiguration story, we see the love of Jesus communicating an even further message to the disciples and thereby us. It's like he's saying in this broken world, following me is hard, but it will be worth it. You see, he knows that our faith waxes and wanes. He knows that we need these little peaks into his glory that our faith might be bolstered and that we might stay the course. A second way God demonstrates his love for us in the transfiguration story is by progressive revelation of who Jesus is. In other words, his plan, including his son's identity, is revealed in increasing measure as the narrative progresses. First, as already mentioned, the appearance of Jesus' face changed, and his clothes became bright as flashes of lightning. But notice how this happens as he was praying. It's in communion with the Heavenly Father that Jesus took another worldly appearance. We catch a future glimpse 
a further glimpse into who he is, when we realize that the light that shone from Jesus, it was a light that came from within. It wasn't a light that was cast upon him from outside. Doesn't that just stop you in your tracks? So this blaze of celestial glory, it was from within, and it was part of his divine nature. It shows us a little bit more of who he is. And to grasp the full impact of the story, we do have to look at the transfiguration story in a a bit more context. And when we do this, we'll see this progressive revelation even further. So earlier, um, in Luke chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am pleased. This is followed by 40 days of temptation in the desert. And then the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, the calling of the first disciples. Throughout his time on earth, Jesus demonstrates his love for people in everything he does. Each part is showing us more and more of who he is. He heals the sick and raises the dead. He drives out demons and preaches kingdom values through parables and more. He speaks of a coming kingdom, and the whole time the disciples are with him, watching and listening. One would think if anyone grasped the true identity of Jesus, it would be them. And then, chapter 9, verses 18 to 20, Jesus asked the disciples who the crowds say he is. They offer some possibilities, but then Jesus presses further. What about you? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? As the readers, we're pretty sure they get it because Peter answers, God's Messiah, but not so fast. Because in the very next chunk, Jesus predicts his death, and it would seem that some doubt was cast. Their expected Messiah could not possibly die in such a manner. He was supposed to deliver them. Is it possible Jesus was not who they thought? Was he not the long-awaited Messiah after all? In Matthew's gospel, Peter rebukes Jesus saying, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. After which Jesus has some rather harsh words for Peter. Nonetheless, it's quickly followed by Jesus taking the three, Peter, who had just finished questioning him, James and John, to the mountaintop where the transfiguration takes place. This is a little bit further insight into his divine nature, and it seems a pretty darn clear indication of his love, because Jesus knew they had their doubts, and so he showed them more. And what this accomplished was the cementing of their faith, which was also an act of love, because Jesus knew the hardship and the persecution they would have to endure in the coming days. So to endure that for the sake of the kingdom, they would need an assurance of future glory. They needed to know that it would all be worth it 
And what better way to accomplish this than a, a glimpse of his glory and a foretaste of heaven? But let's not forget, there were two more celestial beings on the mountaintop. We had Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law of the Old Testament and Elijah the prophets. And it's together that they point to the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament foreshadows. We're told that they were conversing with Jesus. I would imagine that was some conversation. Yet none of the gospel writers except Luke tells us the topic of that conversation. And if you look at verse 31 from today, it says they spoke of his departure. Doesn't the word departure seem like a rather strange word? in light of the fact that Jesus was about to die. But what's even actually more telling here is the Greek word that is translated as departure. Exodus. Exodus. Does that word sound familiar? It's really further revelation about Jesus' identity and the Father's plan for him because through death... Jesus was leading another type of estimate. The Israelites had been enslaved and oppressed under the Egyptians. Their deliverer, Moses, would lead the exodus out of of Egypt into one kind of freedom. But Jesus' impending death makes a way for all people to be delivered from slavery to sin. And this is the ultimate freedom. Jesus is our deliverer. There's no greater love than him willingly going to the cross and giving up his life in place of ours, the fulfillment of promise and prophecy. And Peter, so overwhelmed by all that's occurred in front of him, perhaps a tad bewildered, says, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, Does he mean it's good, do you think, because he and his companions were just eyewitnesses of this glory? Probably. But one commentator suggests that it's also because he has this hope that together he and his friends can construct these shelters and prolong this holy moment. Little did he know that that moment was never meant to last. Then the voice of God comes again in a familiar refrain echoing the words of Jesus' baptism. Though this time, the words are not addressing Jesus, they're addressing the disciples. This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And this is love eliminating any remaining doubt or confusion. Some gospels use the word beloved in place of chosen. But chosen seems to emphasize that Jesus is especially anointed. And this further distinguishes him from Moses and Elijah, who incidentally were mysteriously absent by this point. So we move on to a third way that God demonstrates his love. And that's in that he gives us an example to follow. Jesus, who is fully human and fully divine. We've already spoken about the divine aspects of Jesus, And it becomes even more obvious in a story such as the Transfiguration. As I read the Gospels, I see reflected in him the character of our our Father, 
And we're told that he is the exact representation of the Father's being. So the more time we spend observing Jesus through the word, the more we learn what it is to be godly, to be righteous, to be holy. This is significant because in large part, it's how we're transformed, but it also contributes to discernment. The problem is, is that sometimes, sometimes we're tempted to think it was easier for Jesus because of his divinity. Don't we tend to forget his human side? Imagine for a moment that you were the one about to die a painful, horrible death, but it was a part of the Father's bigger plan. Would you still be obedient? Would you balk? I don't for a second think there was anything easy about it for Jesus, but he did it for us. I think the only reason that Jesus was able to submit and go through with the Father's plan is because of what we read in that very first verse of the passage, which tells us he went up to the mountain to pray. And we're not talking about some five or 10 minute prayer session. Jesus models prolonged periods of prayer throughout the Gospels. And it's this deep communion with the Father again and again and again that gives Jesus what he needs to endure. And brothers and sisters, if this is what the Messiah requires, how can we possibly think our two or three minutes before dinner is going to get us through? So just before closing, I want to recap these three ways that the transfiguration demonstrates Jesus' love to the disciples and by extension us. The first one was in Jesus, God condescends. He leaves behind the glory of heaven to come to earth. The second way was by progressive revelation, that he spells out his plan and Jesus' true identity bit by bit. And the final way being, he gives us a clear example to follow in Jesus, who is both fully human and fully divine. These are challenging times that we find ourselves in. But let the, transfiguring, the transfiguration story give you hope that there is a future glory. After their mountaintop experience, the disciples didn't tell anyone what they had seen. However, when the time was right, Peter does speak. And we can read his words in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. It says... For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses. Do you get that? This like actually happened. There were eyewitnesses. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And this is the crux of it all. Just as Peter, James, and John were not meant to stay on that mountain, they weren't meant to keep this incredible thing to themselves. Neither are we to keep silent 
about the work and glory of God that we witness. I want to issue a challenge to you today, and it comes in two parts. Part one is this. I want you to set aside some time this week just for you and Jesus. In the quiet, ask him to show you any unconfessed sin. And then take some time to just say sorry and ask for his forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, he's saying to you, even now, return to me. And this is how you do it. His love and mercy are waiting. The second part of the challenge is this, to find at least one unbelieving person in your sphere this week and tell them something that you have personally seen God do. Can you do that? I'm just going to invite the worship team to come back up. Can you imagine how much faster the good news of Jesus might spread if we were more apt to step outside our comfort zones and tell our stories? How many more people might believe in him and know the depth of his love? What if we didn't worry so much about what others thought of us and instead cared more about their eternal eternal security and salvation? What if we saw Jesus or saw people as Jesus did and had his heart for the lost? Would you pray with me? Oh God, you are so, so good. Lord, we love you. But we love you because you first loved us. And Lord, we hear in the story today just all these different ways and the lengths that you go to to demonstrate that love for us. Mm. Father, you're good. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.